Chapter twenty nine of Joan Thursday by Lewis Joseph Vance. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. After dinner, Joan treated herself to the experience of lounging in one of the corridors of the hotel, the one she fancied she wasn't sure, known through the town as Peacock Alley. She pretended to be waiting for somebody, made her gaze seem more abstracted than demure. Inwardly, she quivered with the excitement, the exultation of forming a part of that rich and sensuous scene. There were women all about her, many women of all ages and from every grade of society, alike in one respect, alone, that they were radiantly dressed, and, like Joan, found pleasure in sunning themselves in the soft, diffused glow of the many shaded electric lamps, as well as in the regard, as a rule, less shaded of that endless parade of men who moved sometimes alone again with other men more commonly with women continually from one part to another of the hotel muted strains from an excellent orchestra not too near added the final touch of enchantment to this ensemble entranced though indeed seeming little more conscious of her surroundings than one in a daydream joan was acutely sensitive to all that passed in her vicinity not a woman came within the range of her vision without being critically inspected dissected analyzed catalogued both as to her apparel and as to the foundations for her pretensions to social position or beauty not a man strolled by where he splendid in evening dress or merely smart in the ubiquitous sack suit of the period without being scrutinized and appraised with a minute attention to detail that would have flattered him had it been less covert joan felt the lust for this life burning like a fire through all her being there was nothing she could imagine more desirable than to live always as lived apparently these hundreds of well-groomed high-spirited care-free people she had been steeping her soul in the blandishments of this atmosphere for fully half an hour and was beginning to think it time to return to her room when she was momentarily startled out of her assumed preoccupation by sight of one who hadn't been far from her thoughts at any time since her break with quard he came walking her way from the general direction of the bar with another man both attired as richly as masculine conventions permit in america and not altogether unconscious of the fact each in his way guilty of a mild degree of swagger of the two the one betraying the most ease and freedom from ostentation was one known to joan chiefly through the medium of his portraits published in the morning telegraph and other theatrical organs as arley arlington a producing manager locally famous both for his wit and the shrewdness and success with which he contrived to gauge year in year out public taste in musical comedies broadway had tagged him the only trustworthy friend of the tired business man infrequently arlington adventured in plays without music or dancing but as a rule with far less success his companion the man whom joan felt she had been subconsciously waiting for ever since entering the hotel was vincent marbridge she was impressed with the appositeness of his appearance there to her unexpressed desire 
this man who had been so plainly struck by her charms at first sight and who was credited with silent partnership in many of arlington's enterprises and comprehending for the first time fully how much she had been subjectively counting on meeting him again and enlisting his sympathies his sympathies at least she steeled herself against the shock of recognition lest she betray her fast-mounting anxiety he must not for a moment be permitted to suspect she considered him anything but the most distant of acquaintances or believed him to have been the anonymous author of that magnificent gift of roses but marbridge passed without seeing her at all events without knowing that he saw her rolling a little as he walked with that individual sway of his body from the hips he leaned slightly toward arlington and gesticulated with immense animation while recounting some inaudible anecdote which seemed to amuse both men mightily and in the swing of his narrative his glance wandering flickered across joan's face and on without in the least comprehending her as anything more than a lay figure in a familiar setting but arlington less distracted looked once keenly and after he had passed turned to look again in spite of this balm to her vanity joan flushed with chagrin she knew in her heart that marbridge had not other than inadvertently slighted her yet she felt the cut as keenly as though it had been grossly intentional nevertheless she waited there for many minutes more in the hope that he would return and this time know her at length however she saw the two men again at some distance standing by the revolving doors at the thirty-third street entrance both now wore top-coats and hats marbridge was still talking and arlington listening with the same expression of faintly constrained but on the whole genuine amusement and almost as soon as joan discovered them they were joined by two women in brilliant evening gowns and wraps an instant later the party was feeding itself into the inappeasable hopper of the revolving door and so disappeared a prey to a sudden sensation of intense loneliness and disappointment and with this a trace of jealousy for in spite of the distance she had been able to see that both women were very lovely joan got up and returned to her room an hour later she rose from a restless attempt to go to sleep went to the telephone and asked the switchboard operator to find out whether or not mr vincent marbridge was a guest of the hotel the answer was in the affirmative if modified by the information that the party wasn't in just then intensely gratified the girl went back to bed and promptly fell asleep formulating ingenious schemes to meet marbridge by ostensible accident on the following day she lunched at the hotel spent two fruitless hours in its public corridors between tea-time and time to dress for dinner and another in peacock alley after dinner seeing nothing whatever of marbridge and the day after provided her with a fatiguing repetition of this experience she began to be tremendously bored by this mode of existence to sense the emptiness the vapidity of hotel life for a friendless woman once or twice she revived and let her fancy play about her project to revisit her family in the guise of lady bountiful but only to defer its execution against the time when she could go to them with another engagement to drive home the stupendous proportions of her success besides she told herself they seemed to be worrying along without her all 
if they carried anything about her they could have written at least edna had the west forty-sixth street address not once or twice but many a time and oft she found herself yearning back to the homely society of the sisters dean's salon in the establishment of madame de prat and though she held back from revisiting the house through fear of meeting matthias she wasted many an hour promenading broadway from thirty-eighth street north to forty-eighth in the hope of encountering maisie or may or one of their friends but it was singularly her fate to espy not one familiar face among the multitude her wistful eyes reviewed during those dreary mid-afternoon patrols everybody she knew it would seem was either busy or resting out of town on her fourth morning at the waldorf reading the morning telegraph over the breakfast tray in her room joan ran across an illuminating news item that carried a buffalo date line it chronicled the first performance of arlington's most recent venture mrs mixer announced as a satirical comedy of manners by an author unknown either to joan or to fame and projected by arlington as a vehicle to exploit the putative talents of nella cardrow the stage's latest recruit from the four hundred the buffalo performance was it appeared the first of a fortnight's trial on the road following which the production was to be withdrawn pending a metropolitan debut in the autumn the story of the first night was infused with a thinly sarcastic humor after the final curtain it pursued the audience filed reverently from the house omitting flowers and arley arlington broke a track record reaching the nearest western union office to summon several well-known anti-mortem specialists of new york to the bedside of the patient meanwhile vincent arbridge was hastily organized into a posse of one to prevent undertaker kane from laying hands upon the sufferer and carting it off to what might prove premature interment in the mausoleum of his celebrated storage warehouses dropping the paper joan went directly to the telephone and asked the office to have her bill ready within an hour's time from this she turned to pack her new possessions in a trunk as new it had never occurred to her that marbridge might have left the hotel now she said that it was just her luck by one o'clock that afternoon she had shifted bag and baggage to a stuffy and poorly furnished bedchamber in a crowded noisy and not over-clean theatrical hotel situated on a corner of longacre square this establishment consisted of an old and rambling structure of four stories of which the street floor was given over to tradesmen an all-night drug-store held the corner shop while other subdivisions were occupied by a tonsorial parlor a dairy lunch room in the favor of many taxicab chauffeurs a boot-blacking business and a theatrical hairdresser's next door off broadway stood one of those reticent brownstone residences with perennially shuttered windows and a front door to all appearances hermetically sealed but negotiable none the less to those whom fortune had favored with the password and sufficient money and witlessness to make them welcome with proprietors of crooked gambling layouts across the street rose the side wall of a theatre decorated with an angular iron fire escape the day was almost unseasonably warm 
but the hour appointed when the city should blossom out in awnings had not arrived joan's room was hot with sunlight that mercilessly enhanced the shabbiness of all its appointments from the stained and threadbare carpet to the cheap bureau with its mottled dark mirror and the scorched and blistered edges of its top where cigarettes had been suffered to burn out forgotten but when joan had unpacked and disposed of her belongings she went to the window as she was in a loose kimono generously open at the throat and stood there for a long time contentedly looking out taxicabs darted or stood with motors sonorously rumbling in the street below round the corner long acre square roared with the traffic of its several lines of surface cars and its unending procession of motor-driven vehicles the windows of the theatre across the way were open and through them drifted the clatter of a piano with a surge of half a hundred feminine voices repeating over and over the burden of a chorus betraying the fact that a rehearsal was in progress at one of the open fire escape exits lounged a youth in his shirt-sleeves smoking a cigarette and conversing amiably with a young woman in a stiffly starched white shirtwaist ankle-length skirt and brazen hair principals joan surmised waiting for their turn when the chorus had learned its business acceptably nearer at hand in the room to the right of jones a woman with a good voice was humming absently an aria from la tosca while to the left another woman was audible her strained and nervous accents stuttering on in an endless monologue of abuse evidently aimed at the head of a husband who if he had been drinking again retained at least wit enough to attempt no sort of interruption or rejoinder joan smiled in comprehension breathing long and deep of tepid air flavored strongly with dust and the effluvia of dead cigars and cigarettes she turned away from the window lifted her arms and spread them wide luxuriously thank god she murmured with profound sincerity for a place you can stretch in End of chapter twenty nine